near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 394, June 23rd, 2022, a.k.a. Patreon item number 005, the NDE of Edwin. Welcome back to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official podcast and source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm your host, John Messer. Chaz reads the fifth installment of the Patron Editions. There is a link in the show notes to the original submission that Edwin gave to the NDERF website. As always, Chaz and I thank you for listening, and we thank you for supporting us in every way that you do. And now, Chaz reads the NDE of Edwin. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, Patreon Edition, episode number five. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today's experience is from endearth.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, and this is the experience of Edwin, who says, It was the 23rd of December, 1969. I was about 12 years old. I remember hearing my mother tell my father that he has got to give, uh, got to get me to have a haircut, despite at that time that it was a fashion to leave hair long. My mother was very suspicious about this new fashion, as she did not like long hairs, long hair on boys. My father told her, okay, he was going to get me a haircut, so she would stop moaning about it. She knew that I didn't want to have a haircut, so she used my dad to enforce having a haircut since he was a very strict father. The day after the 23rd of December, my dad took me to have a haircut. We went to the city to a barber. My dad was busy talking with some friends of his. I was the first one who was on the chair to have a haircut. When I saw my dad busy talking with his friends, I told the barber, not to cut my hair very short, only put some stuff on it so it would look different. A few minutes later, I was ready, and we went back home. When we reached home, my sister started teasing me again because I had to have a haircut, but I told her that it wasn't cut. I, it only had some gel put on it. She ran to my mom to tell her that I still had my long hair. When she came and took a closer look at my hair, Mom started up on my dad again. Dad had to do something to save his skin from my mom, so he told me to go to my room as punishment and that I'd have to stay there until the next day, until he could get me to the barber again. 
I remember I wanted to get my hands on my sister. She came to my room and started teasing me again. In my room there was a Christmas tree and I was standing in front of it looking at the lights going on and off. As soon as my sister saw, or sorry, as soon as I saw my sister in my room, I unscrewed one of the lights and threw it in her direction. I was so depressed that night that I wanted to cry. I remember the next thing I did was to put my finger in the holder from where I had unscrewed the lamp. I remember the feeling of an electric shock. I was thrown away with some power. Then I heard my sister shouting. I was near her, trying to talk to her and tell her that everything was okay. She was not hearing me, so I tried to put my hand on her shoulder, but she couldn't feel my hand on her. Then I looked down and saw my body on the floor. I couldn't understand what was going on. Then I was pulled by a vacuum into a dark tunnel and was traveling faster than anything I knew. There was like pictures of my life coming one after the other. Then I saw a bright light, brighter than the sun, but it was not hurting my eyes. I passed through this light and found myself in a place that was like a room without walls. The walls were made out of atmosphere. There was a stand with a thick book on it and a very old man reading this book. He looked at me and he didn't say anything, but I didn't care who he was. I was staring at the scene behind him. There was a small bridge and many people passing through over this bridge. As soon as they passed this bridge, they didn't walk anymore. They just floated away. There was, a crisp, there was crystal water beyond this bridge and all the people were wearing white. Then I looked again for that old person that I saw the first time, but he was not there. Instead, there was a man who was shiny and glowing. He reached out his hand and told me to come and see what's in there. At first I was trying to see in which language he was t talking, but although it was new to me, I could understand everything he said. I remember we passed through a lot of people who were singing in some different way I cannot describe. Everybody was happy, and nobody was thinking about others. They were all looking at a great light in one direction. As soon as we reached the bright light, this man told me that what I was about to see I would not remember. We passed through this light. I still cannot remember what was behind that light. What I remember for sure is that after we got out of the light, out of the, that light, the man took me into the first place and told me that I had to go back because my time was not yet come to stay there. I remember I was crying and begging him to let me stay there. I didn't want to go back to earth. He put me on his lap, hugged me, and told me, don't worry, you and I will meet again. I remember I told him I wanted to stay there. I didn't want to go back. Then he told me, don't worry, let me come with you. Then all of a sudden, I found myself back in my room with that man. I could see mom was 
holding my dead body in her arms, and all my family was around her. They were all crying, and I heard my mom crying and saying, He's dead. He's dead. Then that man told me, Now you go back into your body. I refused to go back. I told him I wanted to stay with him. He hugged me again, kissed me, and told me the same words. Don't worry. You and I will meet again. There was nothing I could do. I found myself back in my body again. The funny thing was that I was so happy with what I saw that a smile was on my face when I got back in my body. And the minute I opened my eyes, I heard my sister, Look, Dad, he's playing a joke on us. He's smiling. I ended up with another punishment so that I will not play this kind of joke on them again. I kept this story for about 30 years. I never told it to anyone. And that is the end of the experience. There's a couple of things that uh, drew my attention to this story. First off, his manner of death. Okay, he, he took a light bulb out of a light socket, uh, namely a Christmas tree socket. And if I remember right, in 1969, the lights were the screw-in kind. They were really just like light bulbs out of, you know, that you would screw unscrew out of a light socket, of course, but they were, you know, incandescent and things like that. But um, I'm guessing based on the uh, the size of his finger, you know, it, it probably wasn't the tiny screwable kinds. It was probably bigger uh, screwable kinds. And he stuck his finger in a light, in the light socket, in the Christmas tree light socket. And, of course, it electrocuted him and instantly killed him. The reason that stands out for me is when I read this, uh, I, I was reminded of an experience as a child both me and my sister had. It was not anything of a near-death experience, but it was a uh, life-threatening experience, you might say, um, where my sister came to me. We were both, we were under 10. I don't know exactly how old we were, but she comes to me and says, come feel this. It feels weird. And we, she takes me into the bedroom and we've got one of these lamp, lamps, you know, like a desk lamp, with the bendable, you know, uh, lamps that, uh, you know, either sit on a desk or clamp on a desk. I can't remember. Anyway, um, and she has it on, on position, but the light is out and she sticks her finger in the socket and, uh, and then no reaction, of course. And, uh, uh, you know, and so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So I stick my finger in and, the, it's it's like it's vibrating in there. It's it's humming in there. I don't humming's not the right word because I didn't hear anything, but I guess it must have just been a vibration. And somehow neither of us got electrocuted, but it did feel odd. And at dinner that night, we were you know just eating and stuff. And I said I felt something weird today, and I described what happened. And my dad was like, "You did what?" <laughs> because he says that could have killed you. It should have killed you. If you had had any water on your hand or possibly any part of your body, you would have been electrocuted and probably died. And of course, you know, being my young self, oh, I'm sorry, you know, <laughs> don't ever do that again. That's what he said. But um, 
I think back and I wonder why I didn't get electrocuted. Maybe there were more safeties in place between 1969 and 19, I don't know, 80, whatever it would have been, that I was experiencing that, and my sister, and she clearly felt the weird buzzy sensation, as I did, but without electrocution. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I should ask around if there's anybody else out there that that has stuck their finger in a light socket, felt that buzzing sensation without being electrocuted, because I've not heard of that <laughs> since then. Okay, totally off topic, I, and I apologize, you know, um, uh, for getting off on that, but but it reminded me of that, and, and this emphasizes why it is so dangerous to do that. I'm not sure why I didn't get electrocuted, but this kid did. When Edwin sticks his finger in there, he was out. He's out of his body. And he finds himself um, sucked into a dark tunnel, traveling faster than anything he'd ever known. And then there were pictures of his life coming one after the other. That's all he says about, you know, life review-ish kind of thing. And I'm left to wonder, is that because he's 12 years old and he really hasn't had much time to experience the depth of learning that comes with, you know, aging older? I don't know, you know, maybe maybe he didn't see uh, much of experiences or, or much of uh, learning from his life. Maybe he, it, there wasn't as much of that. But I've heard of others who were that age. Uh, one um, that was 11 years old, and she describes, you know, reliving her life and uh, as being fun, you know. It was... It was like playtime all over again kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so, so then he goes on and he says, I saw a bright light, brighter than the sun, but it was not hurting my eyes. That's just like classic near-death experience right there. Brighter than the sun, but not hurting my eyes. Although many seem to shield their eyes for fear it will hurt their eyes. But uh, I've never heard of somebody saying that it hurts their eyes. Sometimes they say they can't look at it, but not because it hurts, but rather because of the feelings that are in, that accompany looking at the light. So he says, I passed through this light and found myself in a place that was like a room without walls. Now this is interesting to me, because there's two times that... Uh, light is described. Okay, first this light that is brighter than the sun, he goes through it, okay, and finds himself in this landscape where there is a man in front of him. Um, there is walls made of atmosphere, not sure what that means exactly, um, and, and then the small bridge and people passing through this bridge and they were just floating away into what? Let's see, it says that um, I'm jumping around a bit because, um, yeah, uh, it looks like they were they were floating away probably into a further light, which says to me that it seems that this this tunnel, if you will, seems to be a transportation method, or maybe it's just the way things look when you're traveling in a particular way, whatever. There, there seems to be something of a transportation uh, method about this tunnel. And the light at the end being the uh, your destination. 
because the first destination, which was light beyond the brightness of the sun, led him to this landscape. And he says he traveled through the light. So it's not necessarily suggesting that, you know, as he enters this light, it's like his eyes adjust and then he's in this place. Maybe it is. I don't know. But he says that he travels through this light and then he's in this new location. Um, and then in the second time, he's invited into this light. And he doesn't describe the tunnel this next time. But, um, but he says that um, as he is preparing to enter this light, he is with this being, uh, a man. And he sa- the man tells him, you're not going to remember what you saw when you get to the other side of this. And so he goes and then he returns back to this first location and he doesn't remember, or at least when he comes back he doesn't remember. But something must have been spectacular about it because he has no interest whatsoever in returning to his life on earth or his family or his parents, you know. At 12 years old, I mean, I'll I'll grant you that many 12-year-olds and this 12-year-old in particular are probably not all that you know, excited about being around their parents and so forth, but usually they're still kid enough, child enough, to seek their parents, especially in a crisis. And that's, you know, they're not quite that level of independence where they're not even interested in being around their family yet. Um, but he was being disciplined, told to go to bed and, you know, early and everything. And and so he may have still been upset, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. He, you know, he seems to recognize that his going back will return him to his body and, uh, and that he will return to life, but that if he stays, he will not go back to his life. He will not return to his parents. And something about this experience is so beautiful, so incredible that he wants to stay. He wants to stay. Okay, so further on, he or not further on, but let's jump backward again a bit. This landscape, he sees a very old man reading this book, a very thick book, um, and man is reading it. And this seems to be kind of a classic thing. In many experiences, um, the person either at this table or pedestal where this book is, describe it as the book of life. And while... There are many ideas of what the book of life is. You know, we, we can only guess based on what we hear from these experiences what exactly is in it. And unfortunately, Edwin does not look at the book. In fact, he's not even interested in the book or the old man other than that he makes note of them. And then he looks beyond. He was fascinated by the bridge and people passing through over this bridge. They're going across this bridge. And as soon as they passed the bridge, they didn't walk anymore, but they just floated away. And there was, a, there was crystal water beyond this bridge, and the people were wearing white. And I'm not clear, are they passing over this water? Are they passing, is the water under the bridge? He's not totally clear on that, but, uh, but this crystal water is... It grabs his attention as well as the people floating out beyond it and they're wearing white. Um, so at that point he looks back to see if he can 
find the old man at the you know sitting at the book reading the book and he doesn't see the man but he does see another man apparently he says instead there was a man who was shiny and glowing he reached out his hand and told me to come and see what's in here he says at first i was trying to see what language he was talking but although it was new for me i could understand everything he said that's interesting is he speaking another language or is he speaking this telepathic language and it feels new to Edwin because he's used to earthly language? I don't know. I don't know. But there's something about the way he's talking that he feels like he's got to kind of interpret it in some way or that he's, he's getting used to this language that this man is speaking. And then he says that he passed through a lot of people who were singing in some different way I cannot describe. Everybody was happy and nobody was thinking about others. They were all looking at a great light in one direction. I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, you know, passing through a lot of people who were singing. I assume there was a group of people. I'm picturing this big group of people all dressed in white as described earlier. And they are not even looking at each other. They're not even seeming to notice other people. It's not that they're not thinking about others in some selfish way. It's not that they're in a selfish frame of mind, but rather they are so focused on this light that that's all they seem to notice. And they're apparently singing and I don't, and, and he says in some different way I cannot describe. What is that? Singing in some different way that I cannot describe. But perhaps this is what is sometimes described as angelic choirs. I don't I don't know. Interesting though. And as they reach the light, that's the point where he, he's told, you're not going to remember anything beyond this point. So whatever happened beyond that, it was probably this big extensive near-death experience beyond that even. And yet he doesn't remember any of that. Um, and next thing he knows, he's coming back. And the poor kid, he as, as he kind of fights his way back, you know, not exactly kicking and screaming, but resisting nonetheless, and he, he ends up back in his body, and, uh, you know, the, the, the man that is kind of being a guide for him at this point comes back with him, but, you know, and gets him back into his body, and as he's entering his body, he's been so filled with joy and love, and, and the, you know, encompassed in these joyful things that he's got this big smile on his face as he wakes up, and now this... <laughs> pesky sister of his that just can't stop teasing him says he's pretending you know like he's got this smile on his face he's totally teasing us and of course his mom is like what you can't do that to us and and all this they probably checked for a pulse and didn't have one but when he wakes up with this big smile on, on his face they're probably assuming that they hadn't checked it properly uh, or that, you know, something or other. But uh, <laughs> he's, he's you know, his sister, look, Dad, he's playing a joke on us. He's smiling and ends up with even more punishment. He's in more trouble for a poor kid, you know. But but uh, he, he realizes this isn't going to be the kind of thing that he can explain to them. And so he holds it in for 30 years. And it's unclear whether he ever tells them about it later. Let me scan down to see if... No, I don't seem to see any questions answered. Um, anyway, 
it, it, it looks like he probably never tells them, and I imagine this is 30 years later that he's, he's writing this, or, no, it must have been more than that, because um, this was probably recorded closer to 2010-ish. Um, but anyway, he didn't tell anybody about it for over 30 years. I would say, uh, as an encouragement to anyone who has had a near-death experience, not to hold it in, but be careful who you share it with. And that's not to say you can't share it with somebody if you feel like it could help them. Certainly, they're the ones to share it with. But, but um, you know, if you feel like you want to share it, but, you know, you don't know if they will believe, that's, it may be, it may be wise to hold it in if those around you are atheist, are, you know, have serious issues with, you know, religious, spiritual topics, things like that, but to share it with somebody who you feel like could listen. I mean, and there are plenty of people out there like that. This entire audience is eager and wants to hear these kind of stories. That's why they're here. There are Facebook groups. There are, you know, there are probably people in your neighborhood who have had near-death experiences that uh, would love to hear your story and would love to share theirs with you. Um, find someone to share it with if you feel inclined to share it with because it just helps to integrate um, that into you know your life and figure out what you're, how to fit this into what's going on in your life and your career and your family and so forth. It's possible that those in your career and family and so forth aren't ready to listen, but if you have this kind of experience and feel the need to share it, find someone to share it with. And honestly, I am happy to listen to any of you. I understand if you don't want it posted online, but uh, but just let me know that if you would like to share it. And if you would like to share it with the audience, then I would love to share it with them. But um, if you would like to share your own experience, or if you have questions, comments, just thoughts, um, contact me, you know, near death experience podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970 cast, where you'll be given the opportunity to leave a message. And thank you, all of you, so much for listening, and thank you all so much for your patronage and your support.